Oh, welcome to Milking Dolphins. <laughs> Sorry, what? No, it's Berg on the Freak. On the Pokemon Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewRLP. Jimmy's always is a glorious league freak. He's got his hands full at the moment with a dolphin. You can find it, him on Twitter at League Freak. How you going, mate? Listen, we we looked up what does dolphin meat taste like. I can't remember why. Oh, that's right, because we we're talking about the Redcliffe Dolphins. And then it come up on the list of things, like what does dolphin meat taste like? How do you what – does, what does – dolphin milk tastes like and i was like well okay i'll click on this and see what it says and then we decided to look up how to milk a dolphin and i found video of it yeah i'm gonna say pretty damn hot yeah if you want to find out just go to (laughs) youporn.com it's in there somewhere it was actually on youtube yeah that's what i said yeah yeah does it look like I look like a couple of, um, I don't know, like dolphin trainers. I don't know. They'd be more than dolphin trainers, but some a couple of people at SeaWorld were... Massages. A dolphin. Yeah. <laughs> so that was interesting. It was an interesting turn to the night. It was. We uh, very quickly went down a rabbit hole that we didn't know was there. Yeah, Maybe normally... Maybe we call it a dolphin hole. No, well, it was, it, technically it was a dolphin's memory slit. So... Um, as you do, yeah, as you do. All right, let's get this thing back on track. Mm-hmm. Um, have you eaten dolphin before? No, I haven't eaten dolphin before. All right, um, we might as well talk about rugby league now. I may have ideas. <laughs> <laughs> um, first things first, in the um, was it the one of the newspapers? They're all the same. Um, they put a list up there of your club's health check. Mm. And they put the list in this really curious order, which made you think that the team at the top was doing great guns and the one at the bottom was the one that was the shittiest. But when you have a look at it, they've just organised it by best home crowds to worst and all the other stuff they've just ignored. So um, I've done their job for them and I've put it all in the correct order. Excellent. Um, And then I've just thought I'd add, you know what, if we're going to do a proper health check, we need to look at how they've gone over the last three seasons. So I've put in there... Um, the number of losses they've had over the last three seasons. So just just before we get into that, Dave, so the statistics that the whatever newspaper it was that did it, they had did home crowds. Yep. Then they did by TV ratings. Yep. Like just 1 to 17. Yep. Thank uh, you. Merch sales, social media, which I'm guessing is com, uh, total social media followers i'm guessing yep. and then club memberships yep. and then you added what you added which was the losses from 2021 and they were i multiplied those by two the losses of 2022 multiplied by one and a half and the losses from this year which is just by one mm-hmm. um and added that to the total for the ranking so essentially what we're looking at here is the team with the lowest score is the team that's the best mm-hmm. or the healthiest if we're going to go by this thing mm-hmm. Um, so the only problem with this list is obviously the Dolphins are the only team that hasn't been there for the last three years. Yeah. So they're going to be ranking quite highly because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but even still, the top team, the best team in the competition, um, with all that combined is Penrith. And they've got a combined total of 45. Mm-hmm which is uh, pretty remarkable. The Dolphins are second with 49. 
and that but that's because they've only been around for one year yeah, so they so don't get they don't accumulate as many points that's right mm-hmm. um the storm are third with 55.5 so already we're 10 points higher than what penrith had and we're only at third yep uh Rabideau's fourth with 57 broncos are fifth with 61.5 Eels are six with 69. We're, we're now 24 greater than what Penrith had. Mm-hmm. And then there's a bit of a jump. The seventh place Roosters are at 84.5. Mm-hmm. Uh, eighth place is the Cowboys at 85.5. That's now 40 higher than Penrith. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. It's- the Cowboys are that high up. That uh, I guess they're helped by, because they've had some some poor seasons during that, that period of time. Um I guess they're they're helped by their crowd averages, which is good, and their TV audience, which is great. Right. Well, they they rank third for merch as well, which helps. Mm. Um, and then in ninth place are the Raiders, and they're at 106, which is uh, at 61 more than Penrith at 45. Mm-hmm. Um, Manly is next at 110.5. The Sharks are 111. The Knights, 121. Bulldogs, 122.5. The Warriors, mm-hmm. 123. Those three clubs, all very close. Yeah. Then at 15th is the Dragons with 131. And equal last is the Tigers and the Titans on 138. Um, putting the Tigers just slightly ahead because their TV ratings uh, ranks them 11th. The Titans are 16th. Mm-hmm. Uh, their merch is 12th, the Titans are 17th, their socials are 10th, the Titans are 11th, their members are 11th, and then the Titans are 16th. The only thing that the Titans have got on them is crowds. Um, Titans are mm-hmm. 11th, Tigers are 15th. So that with the aside from the losses aspect of it, the Tigers are comfortably ahead of the Titans. So the Tigers go up, uh, up to 16th in a hollow victory. It's a bit of a worry for the Titans, isn't it, that they're that low down in so many different categories, especially the TV ratings, considering they're, you know, they're, they're, they are in that position and in the competition because the whole idea is that they're a team in southeast Queensland that southeast Queensland are going to tune in to watch. But apparently that's not the case. For me, the there's a few things that are worrying here. So obviously the Titans, the biggest thing for these teams that are struggling that I'm going to name is... Um, for the Titans, it's not much competition for where they are, local competition. Like, the Broncos are a good distance away, and there's mm-hmm. fuck all south of them. Um, you've also got the Warriors. They've got a whole country themselves, and they're fourth last. Yeah. The Knights are on the Newcastle coast all on their own, um, and they're, what, sixth last. The Tigers, they can't have too much of a different sort of a uh, region size-wise to what Penrith have got. And yet, yeah. look how far apart they are. Yeah. And it's two, well, it's basically three supporter bases now. Same goes for the Dragons. They're third last. And they've got all of Illawarra and south of that. Um, so, um, and three supporter bases, you know, mm-hmm. so George, Illawarra, and the current merge one as well. So mm-hmm. those sides are a real worry. They shouldn't be that low that it needs to be too, but they're just sitting on ninth. They're just in the middle. But, um, yeah, those other those other four sides, they, they're worrying figures. Yeah, and I think, uh, I mean, looking at the Titans membership base, 8,000, everyone else is 
I think everyone else is over like what fourteen thousand from the look of this. Yeah, fourteen thousand. Oh no, then you've got six thousand for the Warriors. Um, Which that I must admit, that seems really low for the Warriors. I don't think that figure's right. It does. It does seem very low, uh, especially considering. I mean, you look at their crowds this year. Their crowds have been absolutely fantastic. Uh, maybe it, it's. I don't know. It, it does seem wrong to me. Like if they're if they're neglecting the, that membership uh, influx of cash that you get out of it, that's you know it's a decision. I mean, they're a privately owned club. Maybe they made a decision that they didn't need to sort of focus on that area. And I guess, in, to be fair, the Titans are privately owned as well. Ah, here we go. I'll tell you why it's that figure. Okay. Okay. My my good friends over running over the uh, the League Unlimited website, they track membership numbers every year, and they update it every month. Yeah. And the figures for the Titans, the Panthers, and the Warriors for this year haven't been supplied. Okay. Um, the Warriors also wasn't supplied last year. So the last known figure that the Warriors had provided was in early 2021. Hmm. So they hadn't even finished their membership drive that year. That's, and that was at 6,491. Okay, so maybe getting maybe getting rid of the club memberships is the way to go. It could be because we look at the three years prior, the Warriors had 18,000, 10,000, 18,000 and 18,000. Yeah, see, that makes more sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the Titans were 10, 10, 6,500, 11,000, and 8,000 for this year. So this yeah. is about where it, it's about accurate. But mm-hmm. um, the other thing, too, is the West Tigers, what says it's 20,000 on here. Is that what they've got on the? Um, no, no. Okay. We, oh, yeah, it's close. It's close. But the thing is, it just shows how. If you if your statistics aren't right to begin with, all of it's not right. You That's know right. what I mean? And, That's right. And it's like we we thought this would be a really good episode to have a look at this sort of table because it was an interesting table, but then straight away, like we're starting to find problems with the statistics provided by whatever newspaper it was, and that's a problem. <laughs> it is a problem. So there's a few guesstimations put in there to try and um, complete it, I guess. But uh, it's that is a bit sloppy. Um, the other thing too, obviously, the Sharks' home ground is being upgraded, so they're only using, you know, basically half the capacity of it, or, or probably a little bit more, but not by much. Is, um, it, is it being upgraded though? Like I haven't heard any news that they're going to upgrade from the, what they've currently got. No, no. So it'll, it'll go back. From what I gather, it'll go back to the capacity it was, but they've had yeah. to close down the side that's next to where the Leagues Club was because the Leagues Club's been completely gutted, rebuilt, and they're building things yeah. around it. So no one can sit on that entire side of the ground. Yeah. Um, and there's no actual seats on the other end because that's a hill. Mm-hmm. So they've only got two stands out of the three, and one of those is a like a sort a, you know. One 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 set of stands that goes along the sidelines. That's one large bunch of stands taken out. Okay. Um, so that's that's hurting them a bit there. Um, and I don't know if Magic Weekend crowds are put in here. I hope they're not. They wouldn't. They they couldn't be because that'd muddy it up even worse. Yeah. Um, I do think though that 
potentially the foot in here um, home crowds when they've gone to small rural venues. Yeah. Which is also not accurate. That's going to throw things out a bit. Not that the Sharks have done that, but some of the clubs on here have. Mm-hmm. And that could push down their figures a bit as well. It should be purely for their, uh, you know, home grounds local to where the team's based. And the, the other thing to take into account too is with the um, the Roosters crowds, they fucking lie about them. So there is that as well. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, mm-hmm. I don't know if you noticed, but the Broncos home crowd figure is fucking massive. Yeah, remember put, when... Well, I'm serious. They put the comma in the wrong place, considering the number of numbers there. <laughs> I just realised that, yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, so they're, they're averaging just a timid 333,222 people per game. I feel, <laughs> You know what? I feel like this was going to be a really good episode with this, this table that this fucking newspaper put out. I think we've got to chuck it away. <laughs> I, I wish I had have taken the time to look at it a bit longer than 10 seconds. <laughs> oh, man. I guess the other thing is, too, like with the TV ratings, do you just do the TV ratings from the regular season? Well, the thing, I take in the TV rating because, like, straight away you're putting, like, what, a couple of, like, three million on, say, the Panthers for the last three years. Does that carry on through? And I, I don't know. It's It's pretty crazy. The other thing, too, is. There are some games which just get decent-sized crowds, irrespective of how well either side or one of the sides might be Mm. doing. Mm. The Tigers at the moment seem to be getting pretty decent crowds whenever they play against the Panthers, even though the Tigers are dog shit and the Panthers are the best. Mm. Um, Thankfully, due to the fact that most of the time the Tigers are playing the Panthers, half their squad's out playing Origin and the Tigers are not. Mm. Um, So that's an interesting one. Merch sales, I dare say they're relying solely on the club to provide that information. And, um, mm-hmm. geez, none of that's going to get conflated, is it? No, exactly. <laughs> and and th- But then the, you've also got the thing, like I think uh, Penrith was first on that list for merch sales. D- does that take into account how much they have in merch for grand finals? You know, because you, you get to a grand final, everyone starts buying merch. Um, and, and that would change it a little bit as well. So, like, if you've – you could be a really good team and make it to the second last week of the finals, but it's different if you win that game, then all of a sudden your merch sales can be through the roof, and that can sort of – that can conflate where you really stand. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, it's an interesting one. The – yeah, it, it, it's weird. The last time I saw something like this that was doing this sort of thing was obviously during Super League. Yeah. And this looks kind of like what um, that new mob are doing over in England for the Super League. Yeah, but probably. It's loosely just, based on this sort of a format anyway. Yeah. Um, probably dumbed down a little bit by the look of this list. And, yeah, it, it's it's interesting. It's interesting to look at. It is. It is. Kind of like, I don't know, welding, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, like direct looking directly at the sun as well. That's pretty interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, news here. Yeah, when we decide something needs to happen in rugby league, we make it happen. We speak That's... it into existence. 
that's what we do. Yeah, and it was uh, come out this week that the Honourable Troy Grant, if you look at anything he posts, it's Honourable Troy Grant. Who gave has, him that title? Is that self-appointed or is someone actually give it to him? I Well, I thought I heard during the week that he used to be the Deputy New South Wales Premier, which was crazy because I'd, I'd never heard of him until Rugby League. Well, if you're the deputy, that doesn't quite make you honourable. That makes you sort of <laughs> semi-honourable, surely. <laughs> let's not get let's not get in any trouble. <laughs> the two I see honourable. Troy Grant, he uh, he announced uh, after not putting out a calendar that he is going to stand down from his position as chairman of the International Rugby League, which is fantastic for the international game. Um, if you have a look at where International Rugby League was in, say, 2018, mm-hmm. we had lots of emerging nations were playing each other all the time. Well, they actually had an emerging nations World Cup. Yeah, there you go. Uh, we had the likes that, I mean, that was the year I'm pretty sure that Great Britain uh, did their, their little tour down to the Southern Hemisphere where they played New Zealand. Yep. Uh, they played Papua New Guinea. I think they also played, who else, Samoa and was Tonga? it Fiji or Tonga? I think it was Tonga. Okay. They lost to Tonga as well. Yeah, they, well, they lost every single game in that, that tour, but they did that tour, you know. Yep. Um, Tonga beat Australia and there there are no like, oh, Australia was missing this. or anything. It was like they beat Australia that flat out. Yep. They also um, organised the World Nines for the following year, I believe. Was it the following year, 2019? I thought the World 9 to 2019. Was it, it was around that point. It was around that point. Anyway, the, the, just generally, like, lots happening. Lots of test matches, tours, you know, emerging nations having their time, coming off the back of basically a World Cup at that point. Um, things were looking great. We were Troy moving Green, forward. Yeah. Troy Grant became the chairman of the International Rugby League in 2020, early 2020. Now, keep in mind, COVID was just hitting as Troy Grant became the chairman of the International Rugby League. And so there have been things that have had to be dealt with. I think it's fair to say that 2020 was a write-off for everyone, for just everything, life in general. 2021, a little bit better, but not much better. 2022, I think you could say things were probably back to normal, but pretty expensive in terms of uh, travel and accommodation still. Then you get to this year and it's pretty much back to normal. Still a little bit expensive for travel and accommodation, but, you know, there's no restrictions and stuff in place. At the end of the year, we know that we have three tests that are being played in the entire rugby league world and that's apparently Tonga and England mm-hmm. and we have scheduled six other test matches for forever that are scheduled between Australia and England and New Zealand and England yep. and that's it for forever and so to go from where we were in 2018 even accounting for COVID and getting to the point where we are in 2023. I I don't think it could be much worse. I mean, if, if you cancelled those upcoming nine test matches that we have scheduled for the rest of eternity, 
then it would be worse, but that's not really doing too much to make it a great deal worse, is it? Well, no. We basically um, cancelled International Rugby League going forward. All I can say is, um, in his defence, if only there was some time where he could have stayed at home and just nutted this stuff out. If only he had the opportunity and the time where he was unable to do anything else and he could just, you know, stay... I wouldn't say, you know, imprisoned in your home. No, but under, like, look... Like, not in the house or anything like that, but, you know... Yeah, yeah. When you're unable to go anywhere else, you just go, well, you know, I might just stay at home because it seems like the right thing to do. You know what, while I'm here, I might actually put together... I might actually... I'll Google Calendar and see what it is and go, ah, that's handy. You actually put dates next to events. Hmm. I reckon I could probably somehow implement that structure into the rugby league world and go and create an actual list of events with dates on it for rugby league in the future mm-hmm. when I feel like going back outside again. Yeah. But no, that opportunity never presented itself. No. Also, it would have been cool, like, coming out of the pandemic, if there was this insatiable appetite for people to attend live sporting events that would have been really cool to have there. Um, but, you know, too much. Mm. Well, he's too a very much. busy man. Yeah, yeah. It takes a lot of time being honourable. Yeah, you got to polish your honourable trophy. You've got to write it everywhere. <laughs> honourable. Sometimes you've got to be the right honourable. Do you reckon it when people say... Troy Grant, he just keeps sitting there looking around like, is there another Troy Grant here that's not honourable Troy that's Grant? A, that's a pretty common name. Because I waiting. don't stand up unless someone says fucking honourable before my like, name. Like Pronouns. My pronoun is honourable. <laughs> Where is it? <laughs> I'm listening. I'm not hearing. Wonder if he gets me, his own, wonder if he gets his own toilet as well. Um, But, yeah, it's... It's been a, a real disaster, and there's no way around that. And, no. you know, I know that there's been some things that have needed to be tackled, but to come out of it all and there be basically nothing on the other side is bloody disgraceful. And so it's going to be good for the International Rugby League to get some new people in there Hopefully there are more people from the current administration that decide to stand down and we can maybe get some people in that can Google what a calendar is and, you know, talk to emerging nations and and do some things to help them and and move the international game forward rather than, you know, just putting two in the back of its head like we've basically seen happen since 2018. Well, yeah, you know putting out a wish list instead of a fucking calendar. That's all this has been. And that's, they did this. They said the same shit year before that. And the year before that, and the year before that calendar, calendar, calendar. And where the fuck is it? Yeah. Yeah. And then when they finally do it, it's, it's not even, as you say, it's a wish list. It's not even calendar. Silly. Just, it's silly that we've wasted all of these years at international level. And the, the really terrible thing is that, Man, in 2018, we had some pretty good stuff going on. Yeah, like you could sense things were starting to happen. It was yeah, 
It was getting interesting. Even though you could watch some games and look like they were being recorded on a mobile phone, who mm. cared? Mm. There was a, there was a certain charm about it. Um, but it was on, and you could watch it. Um, now, like seriously, anyone could just sit down and nut out a, a list of games that could be played in a, some sort of a structure. And mm-hmm. whether it was the right thing or not doesn't matter. We could debate it, have a conversation about it, and try and get something to work out. All this bloke has managed to do in all his time there was yield to whatever it was the NRL wanted. That's basically what he's done. Um, and if it wasn't the NRL, it was what the NRL journos had been telling PVL what they wanted, which was bring back tours. So PVL and, goes, oh, says, oh, we want tours back. And, All right, we'll bring back tours. The, and bring the only back time, Yeah, and like these are things that are old and went away for a reason. You and know? didn't hurt the game when they left. No, no. And like I get that people – look back at kangaroo tours and they're like, man, that was a really interesting time in the game. Players had a lot of memories from those moments and stuff. But the idea in 2023 that anybody wants to see the kangaroos play fucking the, I was going to call them the Lee Centurions, the Lee Leopards. (laughs) It is just, it's archaic. Like no one wants that. It's well, even if they do want to look at the end of the day, it's not financially intelligent. No. You know, and you got you got all of the players that play for the Kangaroos. Most of them, if not all of them, will have played Origin. And I'd even hazard a guess that maybe half, at least, will also be playing in the finals. So you know, pencil them down for thirty games every year at this stage, or very close to it. And then they're going to go do a kangaroo tour. And I know, and I've said it before. Players in the past used to do it, and they had a job, but. These are now full-time professionals. Mm-hmm. And just because players in the past did it and did it frequently and did it without complaining, did it for a lot less money, doesn't mean it was necessarily always right or that it was, um, you know, provided the best result. Because, I mean, if we want, we can look back at the 1908 tour. It very nearly killed the game in Australia. Yeah. It was at such a financial deficit it very nearly killed the game after one season, okay? So even back in the old days when they first started these fucking things, a lot of peril around them. Um, so the, that's a big reason why that didn't happen. Also, there's no value in going around promoting the game in areas where everybody's already watching it, you yeah. know? And so, I guess the other thing is too, like as the game become more professional, kangaroo tools got smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm. And as every game started to become a television event and every thing was televised, you know, having three games in a week where you play, you know, a couple of cup club sides and with your B team and then your A team runs out in the weekend against, you know, the Great Britain team, it, it just doesn't work anymore. No. It's it's just nuts. Yeah. Um, that's why I think the only way you can have a tour these days is like what Great Britain did, and that is every game is an international. Yeah, and that look, that was really interesting to watch. We saw them against varied opponents in, you know, different places. It was really cool to see happen. And I know that they didn't get the results they wanted, but, like, I mean, we're still talking about that tour that they did. Yeah, and we're not sitting there going, geez, I wish they had to play it against the West Tigers. 
No, no, not no. at all. No. And so that's how it's got to be. There's got to be those short, sharp tours so you get as much international football being played as possible and no time wasted on useless games that don't matter against club teams. And I know people go, why can't Australia go out and play fucking Barrow? You know, why? Hmm. What's the point? of that? If, if they want a mildly opposed training session, they can do it in their own spare time. We want to see proper international football. Yeah, 100%. Um so yeah, the, the the ideas of those old tools are just they're silly um, in this day and age, and but it doesn't matter because we're not playing international rugby league anymore, unfortunately. So hopefully the next people that go into them roles at the international rugby league start things up again, put some real things in place. Don't just write down wish lists. They actually put a calendar in place, and we start playing international rugby league again. We can only hope so, anyway. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, who, though? Well, actually, not not a specific person. Where should the next head of the IRL come from? Should it be someone from the Southern Hemisphere or the Northern Hemisphere? Look, I mean, Troy Grant's Australian, so I don't think that I don't think that that side of it matters. Hey, I think. Well, I'll, put, I'll rephrase it. Do we want someone who's going to be? a lackey for the NRL or a lackey for Super League? Because that's basically what they've always ever been. Yeah, and and it can't be a lackey for the New Zealand Rugby League because that will just be someone that does even less. Um, You know, you would have said before you would have liked it to be someone from the French Rugby League, but, you know, when they've when they've bid for that rugby league world cup and then they haven't delivered and it's not delivering within a few months, that's real hammer blow for them. And I, and I think that they would agree with that. And I think that they would agree that for them, it, the best thing for them to do in, in France is to just take a step back and, and let everyone else sort some stuff out for a while before they step forward with something again. And it's not ideal, but I think that, that's the best thing for them because anything that somebody from the French rugby league tries to do internationally on a, on a greater scale right now is going to be met with skepticism just because of what happened with the 2025 world cup. Yeah. Um, I did have an idea actually about this one. Okay. Remember a few years ago um, in formula one, Bernie Eccleston finally stepped down as the head of Formula One, and handed over the reins of the of the uh, coverage, everything to do with the game, to an American company. Yes. Which, unheard of, given that essentially Formula One is very largely British, because you know all the nearly all the teams are based in in the UK, mm-hmm. and a lot of the races are raced around largely around Europe. Yeah. And let's be honest, a lot of people at the time thought that this US firm that took over would would be the death knell. Yeah, they Formula thought, one. yeah, they won't they don't get Formula One. They'll stuff it up, I remember, yeah. Mm, and that hasn't happened. No, it's gone from strength to strength. Yeah, they created a what a regular series on Netflix mm-hmm. um which has just helped to drag more people into it from new markets, mostly the US. Mm-hmm. What if something similar could happen with rugby league? A US firm takes over an entertainment company that understands the sport as well but also understands how to maximise income out of it and get more money into it. At this point, I wouldn't be against it because, like, we're starting from zero pretty much, you know? 
and we've tried many other different ways and we've seen that it's been a case of like not too bad is about as good as it's got and that's what I would say about where we're at sort of in 2018 to the disaster that we have now. Um, so I, I wouldn't be against it. But that, I reckon that would be a smart way. Because imagine if, yeah. if just by chance, yeah. right, if it did follow that then, we had a Netflix series came out on it. Imagine what that, that would do for the game, especially in the US where it's been trying, trying for decades to get itself established there only to fall apart every time due to fucking bickering over who's running what comp and what's the right comp and not. Yeah. Imagine if that got rectified just through a fucking brilliant TV series. And look, there's a, there's enough great content just in the NRL Super League alone every week to make something out of it. There is, yeah. Um, I don't know. The only thing I could see would be a drawback is that if you bring in a company that is looking to make a profit out of the international game, they're basically going to focus only on the area where there is a profit to be made. And then, you know, what does that do for emerging nations and places where there is no profit to be made? Um, what do they do for those places? Well, I think, I, the, I think the main thing, though, is um, profit is being made. So that means more money is coming into the game, which could be true. then given back to those areas. So while they may not be getting the exposure, yeah, they might be able to benefit from getting more of the money. And, and I guess the other thing is too, like I think it's overstated sometimes the support that the International Rugby League gives to emerging nations. I think a lot of the work that's done in emerging nations is done by people on the ground in those emerging nations. And, you know, if you said to those people, how much support do you get? They'd probably say, oh, we get an email from them every so often. Yeah. We want you to fill out some paperwork to make sure you've got all of your um, your membership status up to date. Yeah, pretty much, pretty yeah. much. Have you set up a bank account? <laughs> Shit like that. What's your website? Is your website up to date? What's your phone number? Have you got a fax machine yet? <laughs> fax machine. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget your MSN handle. Thanks, mate. Shit like that. Look, I, I think it's not a bad idea, Andrew, and, you know, I think it would take a lot of – because there is a – I think one of the things about the International Rugby League is that because all of the nations are basically trying to look after what they're doing domestically within themselves, it is an extra burden for them to then have to take some of that focus and then put it elsewhere. And so if it was handed over to a, a private equity company, for instance, um, you know, somebody's running it for them. Yeah. So, and if that private equity company can come back with a, you know, a plan, dare I say a calendar, that they can say, look, if we do this, if we put this in place, we'll come back with this profit. I think that that would probably, you know, be something that all of the rugby leagues would be happy to see. I, I really would just be a little worried about that they don't forget the emerging nations, which that is the majority of the the nations in the rugby league playing world but yeah i'd be i'd be up for that at this point i'd be up for any change and we're going to see a change which is great so um i wonder if they would i think it couldn't be img just because i think 
they've got enough work to do as it is. Yeah, and I, I feel like there's there maybe be a conflict of interest there that IMG wouldn't even want to deal with. You know what I mean? No, like they, I, IMG doesn't want to have to say, well. We are focusing on Super League, but we're also focusing on the International Rugby League and have that sort of back and yeah. forth that people could throw at them. I don't think they'd want to deal with that. So They have got such a big task. Well, I think fixing English Rugby League is a harder job than fixing International Rugby League. Oh, yeah, 100%. I, I, at this point, I don't even know where they start. I think that they're just trying to – I think they're trying to work out what they've got and then they're, they're going to sort of get, settle everything in a little bit with this new licensing thing and maybe let it stay that way for a couple of years because it's a 12-year plan that they've got for the sport. And then they'll start doing things like we we have decided we want um, a, an expansion club here and we hope this is how we're going to fund it and we just need everyone to tick off on it now. And you've been happy with what we've done so far. Look at the results we've got. The, the results will keep coming if you let us do this. I think that's where they're going to go. Yeah, and it also feels like because they know any major change will automatically be met with pushback mm-hmm. and opposition. They know that any major change they want to do has to be done in baby steps, which is yeah. fucking infuriating. Mm. But they're not just dealing with, you know, something is easy to deal with like stubborn clubs or anything like that. They're dealing with... Um, a culture. Mm-hmm. This is how we want it because this is how it's always been, yeah. and that's the that's the mindset of rugby union in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, look where it's getting them, mm-hmm. and rugby league in the UK is very similar with that attitude. Yeah, um, and so they they've got to try and break that as well as fixing the game at the same time. So it, it is baby steps at the moment, but um, I do agree with you that they've got to have. Privately, their end game, the end game, what they what they're planning towards, mm. and then their um, slow dance to get there. Yes, very well put. Very well put. Um, and the international one, though, I, I think it is easier because all the all the com- competitors globally, they they want international rugby league to be good. That that's a given. So yeah. they're going to be open to whatever's going to work for everybody because everybody gets the benefit out of it. And I think there's a profit to be made, especially in the Southern Hemisphere at the very least, where, you know, you get Australia, Tonga, New Zealand, Samoa, and PNG, Fiji. You get those teams just, you know, playing one another. You're going to, if you do that over the course of two or three years where they end up playing each other once, you're going to get some crowds there, pick the right stadiums, Make sure the venue hire isn't too high. It's going to work out for you. I've I've just had an idea developing in my head here. Okay. What if every single nation that's in the say the top the top sixteen, okay, on the yeah. world rankings? Yeah. Doesn't matter how good they are, okay. But what if every team that's in the top sixteen adopted a team from the next sixteen? who they would do training sessions with. They don't have to play games against them. Do training sessions with, try and help them get better at what they do, and then have them play the opening game of a major test. So say, for example, Australia has, um, I don't know who's in there. Uh, Let's go with Germany. Mm -hmm. 
as their team, okay? Mm-hmm. They give they bring Germany over. Australia does all their training sessions with Germany, post training and stuff like that. It's not it's not done purely to train the Germans up, but it's about to get them to realise, you know, the sort of contact that's going to be done, the lines they run, just little things here and there. They're observing by being involved, but without a scoreline being there to fucking crush their spirits. But they're training with the Australians. That's the main thing. And then mm. it's all training because Australia's about to play their first test against Great Britain. But as the start-up game, it could be Germany playing against Netherlands. And that can be your game before. So they're getting to play in front of a huge crowd. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a close game because they're playing against a team that's at the same level. But at the same time, Netherlands are going to have been doing their training session with England, for example. I, look, I think that it's I think it's a really nice idea. I don't think it'll work in practice, and I'll tell you why. It'd be like the Australian team doing a similar thing with, uh, and I'd, I'd say the, their name because I was looking them up the other day, the Coffs Harbour Axemen or whatever they're called, you know? Like that would be the level of play that they'd be training with and, and working with and, you know, how much will they affect the play of that team and, and what will be the flow-on effects from them, you know, training with the Australian team. I don't know that it's going to be a great deal because they are so vastly different in pretty much every single area of the game, you know. But that's why it would be a training session, not an actual game. Because I think, I generally think, um, as much as people might argue with this, Australia playing someone like Germany and beating them by 110 to nil, I don't see how that does anything for Germany or Australia or in no. National Rugby League. No one wins in that. No, and we, we saw that throughout the last World Cup where you would just watch a game and be like, this is doing nothing for anybody. And you'd hear people say, oh, this is this is really good for them and they'll learn from this. Like, and they'll learn what? How to stand under their goalposts and watch the other team kick goals? Like, yeah. it does nothing when you see score lines like that. There is a, a point where... You know the the returns are just non-existent. On, on right. getting Especially flopped. when the team winning, they're not doing remarkable shit to win. Yeah, they're doing the basics, and that's the that's the thing about the diff, the different you know levels between. I mean, you could get, and and I'm not trying to denigrate German rugby league. It, it's it'd be like uh, I'm trying to think of a, another sport. Well, it'd be like you know one of the, say, Real Madrid, you know, and them training with a Sydney soccer-based club. Like, how much is gonna, how much is, are they all going to get out of that? I don't know that you're going to get much out of it. You'll get a lot of memories for the, for the Sydney team, but Real Madrid, I mean, they're going to tire of that sort of thing because that, that breaks into their, their professional time for their own professional development, you know? Yes. I think I think that you could do it differently. I, I tend to think that we need to look at international rugby league and be realistic about the levels that we're, we've all got. You know, you look at someone like England, they're so far ahead of even Wales that when they play one another, what do, what do either of them get out of playing England versus Wales? Not much at all, you know. There's no flow-on effect there. There's no... You know, there's no great epiphany for Wales, and England just gets nothing out of it. Even when you look at England play France, how much has that been getting for either of those nations? 
Now, I'm not saying that it's not worthwhile playing that game, but I don't think we've seen France have that big moment where they've gone like, oh, yeah, this is what we've got to do from now on. They haven't got better just playing England. Yeah, but I think a lot of that, though, comes down to constantly playing the same opponents all the time. Like for France, they're constantly playing the same English players all the time, just like when Australia plays New Zealand. Because mm-hmm. they're playing, it's just it's just the Super League, but everyone just wearing different jumpers. Mm-hmm. It's just like Australia New Zealand is the NRL with different jumpers on. It's not that much different. And there's a lot of same systems and processes in place. So the results are going to be the same every time. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking if you've got one of those clubs and you brought them down here, maybe not with the Australian team, but maybe they can come down, I guess, and do off-season training with an NRL side. Just something like that, just so they get an yeah. idea of the level you need to be at and the things you've got to do and the things you can learn, but mm. without actually impacting on the NRL team. So, you know, could be could be Netherlands coming down and running the fucking dunes at Cronulla with the Sharks, you know. It's just, <laughs> it could be any fucking thing, but just something yeah. to help them get to that next level because at the current rate and the way they've everything structured and set up, it's not designed to make them get better. It's designed to keep them where they are. Yeah, everyone. And that doesn't help. Everyone's treading water. Even look, even Australia's. When was the last time Australia really had to push themselves for consecutive years? Like, there's been a year here and there where they've lost and stuff. But how long? Well, like, there's never been a point where the Australian rugby league setup has thought we have a mountain to climb and we need to play our ass off to get there. Um, a lot of that comes down just to their consistency. Like, you can't argue that Australia isn't the most consistent rugby league playing nation in the world. You you watch an Australian game, even when they're at their worst, they're going to be like 85%. And there's no other nation can say that. Like, you know, you look at England at their worst, they, they would like to play 85%. You know, it's... That, I think that's one of the big problems, and that's you, you work that out by playing consistent internationals. Unfortunately, international rugby league's dead at the moment, so that's a problem. But yeah, look, I think that it needs to be realistic. And the other thing I guess you need to remember is that you know these are amateur players that have jobs and stuff, and to to ask them to up and leave to go and do training sessions with the Cronulla Sharks, it's a cool idea, but. There'd be a lot of players that'd be like, "Man, I can't, I can't leave my work for that long." It's okay. We'll just give them all Super League contracts. <laughs> you might get paid. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you might get paid. <laughs> just you know, if you see Bradford on there, just go. Mm, maybe not. I'll wait it out. <laughs> Harsh but fair. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sorry, Bulls fans. Not sorry. <laughs> um. Moving on, um, Wade Graham announced he's retiring at the end of the year. Yeah, I think it's a good move, eh? I think that absolutely. Yeah, it, it, it was time. It's probably it's probably time last year, to be fair. And he tried yeah. to play on, and I get it. it. No player thinks that they can't play footy. Well, but, I think yeah. from from 2018 onwards, he has not played 20 games in a season since. Yeah. So 2018, 18 games. 2019, 10. And then 19, 11, 18, and 16. This year's probably been his best year as far as um, avoiding injury and he's getting on the field as, as often as he has mm-hmm. um, since 2017. Yeah. Um, he's been struggling with a lot of different injuries. Yeah, it's just, it's age catching up. The only thing is, 
he might he may fall short of 300 games because he's currently sitting on 293. Ooh, yeah. They'd have well, to. Well, actually, you want to say may. I think he will because I think he they've will. got four yeah. four games left. He's going to need the Sharks to obviously make the finals. Make a prelim. They've got to get to the, the third week. Yeah, yeah. And I I just can't see that happening. It would be pretty shocking if they did. But, you know, still play, it played a lot of footy. Uh, really handy player, really skillful player, especially early on in his career. He changed a little bit. As, as those injuries started to hit, really, he started to have to sort of focus his game a little bit and um, tone down some of the stuff he was doing. But, yeah, it's uh, I'm glad he made the decision. And when I saw that decision, I was like, it's the right thing for him. Absolutely. And, look, I've always been a huge fan of him. Um, the one thing that fascinates me is his ability to be able to go from being a 5'8 to a second rower. Mm-hmm. That just doesn't happen much in this game, even today. And, yeah. And to actually make it as well. Yeah. He's done all his juniors at the Panthers as as a half. He may have played in the centres a few times, but that was about it. Mm-hmm. And then, what, two seasons at the Sharks, then he got moved to the second row and then became an origin and test player there. Mm-hmm. That's pretty fucking amazing. Yeah, it is um, pretty cool. And the one part of his of his game that he evolved the most was his defense because, mm-hmm. you know, most halves aren't designed to be doing a lot of great tackling. But, man, his ability to run out of the line at precisely the right time and shut down a play with a fucking good hit, mm-hmm. man, I love watching that more than anything else he'd ever done. Um, he could do that better than anyone else. He was also good at um, really soft kicks at the line. Um, had a really good touch with the short kicking game which is a pretty handy skill to have from a second rower. Um, he just added that little bit of um, X factor to the the tiger, uh, sorry, the, the Sharks pack there, um, which helped them with a bunch of their success when he was on the field an awful lot. And you can tell that, you know, when he started getting injured, their success rate started to drop. Yeah. And yeah. So they had to start finding other players. And that's, you know, Britton Acora come along, and while he doesn't have the same skill set, he was a targeting attack for them because he's just runs like an absolute fucking man possessed. <laughs> so they could go to that instead. And so they found their X factor in a different style, but on the other side of the field and that helped them get back um, their attack that they had. But yeah, phenomenal player. Yeah. Highly big, rated. D- big dude for a former half as well. And yeah. I think, I think that uh, it's interesting when you look at his career and look at the way that, NRL forwards slightly changed a little bit uh, during the, that time that he become a forward towards to, to where we're at today. I think forwards now are, um, you know, there there are a lot of skillful players there now that can do different things, but a lot of them are, are mostly just engine room sort of straight up and down players, and they're very very good at that and. I think there's a, a little bit more depth now when than when Graham come into the forward pack for the Sharks, um, and it's I, I always like looking at the the evolution of rugby league forwards because they get forgotten a lot. You know that you sort of think, oh yeah, there's your forwards, but man, they change a hell of a lot depending on what the rule set is and what they're all doing, and 
you know, it's it's cool that Wade Graham has been part of that. Yeah, so, I mean, six foot one, mm, solid dude as well. Yeah, well, I mean, when he when he came out on the Panthers, I think he was probably about eighty six to ninety kilos somewhere around there, mm. and he's currently playing now at one hundred and five. Yeah, he doesn't look like like a chunky one hundred and five. He's just solidly built. Mm. Um, but yeah, unbelievable the, the the career he's had and what he's managed to do. Um, and the fact that even though all those injuries, he's that close to having played 300 games as well. Um, yeah, very good play. You'd be sorely missed at the Sharks. Yeah, 100%. Uh, for another former Panther. Another former Panther done good. <laughs> I actually put together a team, I don't know if you saw it, of players that had been at Penrith and had basically moved on during their run in grand finals. And had a look at some of the names on that list. And Is this the, made... the current Panther side? No, no. So basically, let me bring it up on my website. If you go to leaguefreak.com and it's titled, where would this former Panthers team finish in the NRL? So I had some rules in place. Okay. So first of all, there had to be a, 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 a pretty solid first grade contributor to the Panthers any time since 2020 through to this year. Okay, so so that got rid of any juniors that went to other clubs for like Sean Bloor was a good good example, former Panthers junior, but he wasn't a Panthers first grade regular first grader. He made his debut for the West Tigers, you know. Yeah. So players players like him were out, um, and anybody before that era of them making the grand finals was out. So that that meant that RCG wasn't there, Wonga Blake wasn't there. Um, the other thing was, if you're retired, I didn't put you in there. So there goes Josh Mansour. And and you can hear the names I'm talking about. Are, you yeah, know, I'm, they're pretty solid I'm looking names. looking at it now. It's a pretty solid lineup you've got here. Yeah, so these were players that have left the Panthers uh, over this time. So fullback was uh, Dane Laurie, who ironically will be going back next year. Mm-hmm. Charlie Staines. I put Stephen Crichton in there because he's, he's leaving at the end of the year. Yep. Brent Naden, Robert Jennings. Matt Burton, Sean O'Sullivan, Jack Hetherington, who plays for the Newcastle Knights at prop, uh, Appy Corosau, who's having, I think, the best year of his career at the West Tigers right now, Spencer Lenu, who's still at the Panthers, but he's leaving at the end of the year for the Roosters, Viliami Kikau, Jermaine Hopegood, um, Kirk Hapewell at lock, and then you've got Paul Momorowski, James Tamo, who's still at the Cowboys, uh, Jermaine Salmon, who's leaving at the end of the year for the Panthers. Jack Cogger, who's leaving at the end of the year for the Panthers. And Tyrone May, who's over playing in Super League at the moment. Um, and that's a team I put together with some pretty heavy, like, rules in place, so I just couldn't name everyone, you know? Yeah. And I wondered, like, where would it finish in the NRL if they played this year? And my general feeling was, and it's the a, a lot of feedback I got from it, as well was probably you couldn't look at it and say definitely a finals team, but they're in that that range of say maybe seven to twelve on the ladder. Where let me, let me a, put it to you like this then. Okay. Do you think the current Raiders side is better than that? I think there are more game breakers in this Panthers team than in the Raiders. 
and they the, the Raiders are what fifth at the moment. Yeah, I, I feel like that's a bit misleading. Their fifth though, Cause as we've talked about with their their for and against record and stuff. I think that that's a bit of an anomaly. Is my personal feeling. All right, so we'll take take the Raiders out of it then. Would you take? Okay, here's a question for you. Would, Would you? That's going to say, how do you rate yeah. them then compared to Newcastle? I th- I think that they're that's a better team than Newcastle. I yeah, think they're and Newcastle's hard. seventh, and their points difference is plus seventy four as well. I think they've got a better hooker. They've got a better halves. I think that back line is has got a little bit more bite to it. The Ford pack is really good, especially that starting Ford pack. That's really good. I'd put them at seventh or eighth. You reckon? Yep. Yeah, I th- I feel like they're in that between seven and twelfth, and the way I described it was they're between about seven and twelfth, and like all of those teams between seven and twelfth right now, a good run would see them make the finals. Yeah, that's not- a very. I mean. The only possible weak side would be O'Sullivan at, at halfback. Yeah. But I don't think it's that much of a weakness given you've got the kicking game of Burton there, the running game of Laurie outside him, and the fact that, as we've seen the last few weeks, Coruscant can play halfback. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he's more than ably supported. It doesn't matter now. Um, yeah, the I suppose the only issue would be um, I'm not sold on Naden as a centre. Yeah, and neither am I. But I mean, Staines as a winger. But I mean, it's still you can get around that. Yeah, and look, Staines has won a premiership as in as a winger, right? Yeah. Look, Naden's won a premiership. I, I, what was he playing? Was he playing in the centre? I think he was on the wing. The he might have been a winger. I'd probably be more inclined to put Momorowski at centre. Yeah, Momorovsky was one of those players where I wasn't sure if he'd retired or not, and he ha- he hasn't retired yet. He's had a uh, horror run with injuries, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. Yeah. yeah. So, because uh, I I was like, I'm sure he retired, and I started researching it, and it's like, no, he hasn't retired yet. He's playing. For, he's a Roosters player at the moment. Um. So yeah, he was. I I added him a little bit late, and I probably would put him in the centres if I had to do it again. Um, you could even put Capewell in the centres, but I, I, I so you could do that. Yeah, and he played a lot of centre for Penrith, but uh, yeah, not a bad side. And, and I put it together basically thinking about um, the salary cap talk and like, is the salary cap working? And when you look at all those players that Penrith have lost over the last, you know, for, for say from twenty twenty to now, going into next year, that's a lot of bloody good players. Yeah, um, it's always funny when that that stupidity of is the salary cap working turns up. Yeah. So, well, yeah, it is. But as we've seen, it takes something rather fucking ridiculous, and it's completely in forward planning to get around what the what the salary cap does. The Broncos did it for a long time because they had the entire Brisbane comp to work from but they'd be able to get players together and get them playing alongside each other as teenagers and keep them together to make little combinations. By the time they get to first grade, everything just falls together and they keep rolling them off the production line. And Penrith have done that. Um, the Storm for a long time would get players that have come from similar regions or they played a bit of time together or they get them to play together in the lower grades before they brought them into first grade together. 
Um, so, you know, there's just, it's all about planning. It's all about having those structures in place and looking at stuff, not now, but, you know, two, five, ten years down the track yeah. and constantly be doing all of that. Um, and it's something that the Panthers have been doing better than anybody else for the last few years. Um, but they're not the first team to have done it either. But that's, think, that's what it takes, though. Yeah, and, I, and look, I think that, as we've seen with pretty much every single uh, premiership winning team that wasn't breaking the cap uh, since the salary cap really come into place and was enforced, they've all been slowly, you know, disintegrated by the salary cap and losing players. And then you just need one or two retirements and all of a sudden it's all over. You know, you're right. over. The difference I think we're seeing with this Panthers team, and you and me have talked about how they're a, a real anom- anomaly for most eras of rugby league is that it's like having a, wanting to have a hundred bucks in your back pocket all the time, just in case you want to buy something cool. But at the same time, you've got a, a tree out the back that, you know, spits out $20 notes every couple of months. And so you've always, you don't have to worry too much that if you spend 20 bucks, cause you know, you've got another 20 bucks coming out of your money tree. You know, that's right. That and that's that. That's that Panthers junior base that is just at the moment is, uh, like I mean we've seen it spit out some amazing talent at times, and I think of that 2003 team where all of a sudden, like within the space of about 18 months, or like there must have been half a dozen true international talent come out of that Panthers base all at once. Um. I think what we're seeing now out of the Panthers junior base is even better, which is crazy to think about. Yeah, I mean, the only thing they've got now is, and they'll start to be thinking about it now, is most of these guys who are playing together, if they do keep them together, mm. they're all going to be retiring around the same time. Yes. So the process starts kind of now, now they're in their mid-20s. Mm. Who are the, you know, 12, 13, 14-year-olds coming through our ranks that we need to start looking at that are going to be replacing these guys. Yeah. That's the that's the big trick now because they're going to be having an awful lot of churn in about seven, eight years' time. And they need to start getting being in the right place at the right time to make sure they've got people coming through and they've got them ready to go and hit the regenerative running so that they don't have any savage drop-off. Because that drop-off, even for one year is enough to say players go, oh, I don't want to be with this team anymore. They've turned mm-hmm. to shit, blah, 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 and off they go. I also think that there's, I mean, obviously there's going to come a point where they're going to have players come through that junior system. Say you're a halfback that comes through the Panthers junior system. Like, you're not going to get a start unless Nathan Cleary is playing Origin at the moment. And so you kind of have to look elsewhere. You just have to. And that's fine. Like, I've got no problems with that. But that eventually takes its toll on a club, especially when you get to that point in Nathan Cleary's career. And I think Touch Woody's going to have a, a very, very long career. He just he ticks a lot of those boxes to have a long career. Um, you know, at some point, there's going to be those question marks. Say he's a 35-year-old halfback, which I think he could be. Uh, when do you... The, you know, when does Pen- Penrith tap your 35-year-old 
great player on the, the shoulder because you've got this 17-year-old kid who's maybe even better than Nathan Cleary ever was, and every club wants him, but he needs his opportunity right now unless or he's going to leave. Like, it, that's the that's the balancing act. That's really hard. The Storm have done really well with that. You know, you look at what the Storm have done when they've lost players. Um it, it, that's going to be that's going to be the big challenge for this Panthers team. That and because if they can keep Edwards and Luai, it's I don't even know what, how many premierships they're going to win over the course of this team being together. Because you know normally a salary cap team would lose those players, and I think that they're maybe going to be able to keep them because they can let go of a Crichton, but they've got you know, Talon May and um, Tungo, who's they're two of the best young centers in the game. It's, it's really crazy. It's, it's absolutely insane. I can't believe they're my team. It, it is pretty nuts. There's no doubt about it. Um, yeah. I don't know what else there is to, to go on about at the moment. Yeah. I um, think uh, we, we didn't do that last episode too long ago. So, <laughs> um, there was something actually came up. It was something to do with the English Rugby League and I think Featherstone were being discussed. What was that about? Uh, was that that they, I think they let uh, their coach go? No, that was Castleford. No, but I think that they all, I, wasn't Sean Long the Featherstone coach? I, I literally don't know. I'm almost certain because there's been some weird stuff. Um, Sam Burgess is going to coach the Warrington Wolves next year, which is going to be interesting. He he does have, I was told by a Twitter follower that he does have uh, head coaching experience and it's up in Coffs Harbour. That's why I was looking them up during the week. Right. Uh, so he has that. And we've talked about, you don't know if someone's a, a first, you don't know if someone's a good head coach until they're coaching. No one knows who the next great coach is until they're coaching. And you see if they're good or not. So I don't mind Warrington rolling the dice. No, that's true. Um, hmm. It's interesting. He doesn't have to drive the team bus, does he? <laughs> I don't think he legally is allowed to at the moment, <laughs> <is he? laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um. Here's a story. I'm, I'm just looking through news at the moment in the, in the Super League because, you know, we've got a few English listeners. Okay. They they need to be told what's going on. The Catalan Dragons have been fined £25,000, half of which has been suspended till the end of the 2023 season following the misbehaviour of their supporters at the Super League playoff fixture against Leeds Rhinos in September. Was that the drama last year? Uh, what happened in that? Oh, there's some, some drama in the crowds or in the grandstand or something yeah well I, I i remember there was something happened but i can't remember what it was so it was well, so it was in september the, mm. i mean we're not there yet unless they're foreseeing something coming up it was last september it's got to be yeah uh by the way featherston rovers did sack sean long all oh, right yeah well that doesn't seem right English Rugby League, man, it's kind of weird. Well, I mean, they're only sitting at the top of the ladder. Yeah. 
Sean Long left. Here's one. Here's an interesting one. This is from Rugby League News. Hang on. This is serious about Rugby League. Sean Long left Featherstone Rovers because of IMG. This is written by Cam Patterson on the 8th of August. Uh, on serious about rugby league. Yesterday, Featherstone Rovers shocked everyone when they announced immediate, the immediate departure of Warrington Wolves linked Sean Long. Now, obviously, Long didn't end up going to the Warrington Wolves. The Super, uh, Super League legend in every sense, Long was worked for Warrington, has worked for Warrington Wolves, that should be, uh, leaves, leaves Rhinos, and as an assistant coach in rugby union, um, this was his first head coaching role for the Featherstone Rovers. He was tasked with replacing Brian McDermott. Man, that's easy. <laughs> <laughs> Just got to turn up. According oh, wow. to the club, it is vital. Hang on. It is vital they achieve promotion in 2023 due to the IMG grading approach in 2024 onwards which they hinted could work against them. This is framed by the club as the main reason for his exit after another defeat against their promotion rivals, Halifax Panthers. Okay. Wow. They all but directly mentioned IMG in this statement. So uh, let me see. This looks like it's their statement. Uh, I don't know. It's like... What are we doing? Who gives a fuck? I mean, uh, it's a weird one. Look, this is the problem that clubs that are on the bubble of getting a promotion in Super League or maybe getting promotion and not being accepted because they don't tick certain boxes. This is the pressure. These are the pressures that they're going to face and where they might have to make those decisions, you know? And they're, I mean, if it's someone like Featherstone, they're miles ahead on championship, but they get overlooked because the only area that they're doing well in is on-field results. Yeah. Then that's fine that they don't get promoted because they've got a set criteria there and you need to survive there. Yeah. And you you can't take your results from last year into next year. Like no. you've got to have everything else going for you if you're going to be, if you're going to survive up there. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, that, that's what they're all going to do. Oh, we led, we won the championship. How come we didn't get promoted? Going, you've all been told what the fucking system is. Yeah. Don't don't all fall back on this. Oh, but we were the best team in championship. That's enough. And going, no, no, that's what the system used to be, not what the system currently is. Get with the fucking program. Yeah. But and look, I understand the reaction by them. And man, it would be so disappointing. It would be super disappointing. But. At the same time, like the mindset has to change from they're locking us out to we need to build more here, you know? Yeah. Because it's a chance to to build more. It's a chance to not survive year to year based on, you know, we have to make Super League or we'll go bust, which some teams have done. Yeah. Um, we don't want that. We want teams to be able to build themselves and grow and, and get to a point where at Featherstone Rovers, you look at it and you say, they tick they tick so many different boxes that we can't not promote them. You know, we have to. They have to be part of Super League. They're a big enough club now. And that's the goal. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, other than that, 
this weekend, the Challenge Cup finals on. Lee Leopards have announced the signing immediately of Kai O'Donnell um, in Super League talk. He is a NRL superstar, but over here he played like seven games or something. Who knows? <laughs> what do you think <laughs> about signing a player like that? Do you think for for especially for a a cup final? Do you think that that shouldn't be allowed? I don't care to be honest. Yeah, it's fine. What if they um, had, okay, say they signed, imagine if, because they're playing Hull KR, imagine Hull KR signs Appy Corosau for the rest of the year. Because he's not going to be part of the NRL finals. And he, he talks to the West Tigers and he says, look, I'm getting on. I'm going to be putting Ks into my legs in the NRL that maybe you don't want me to be putting in. I can go over to England jag a Challenge Cup final appearance and then we've got a handshake agreement that I'm going to kind of sit out the rest of the year. I'm fine with it, seriously. Yeah? Yeah. I, it doesn't worry me. So long as, it's, so long as it meets the requirements of all the said salary caps and everything like that, mm-hmm. go for it. Why not? I don't see any issue with that. Because, you know, to be honest, it kind of happened a little bit in the 80s. Yeah. When we... We'll go back to the, the Steve Roach issue. Yeah, I was just thinking about it. You know, and that's that's a flip side of it. Yeah. So a player gets suspended for like three or four weeks and it's two weeks to the finals, go sign to go and play with, with an English club team, specifically one that has got Challenge Cup games coming up in the same week it's got Premiership games coming up because they played those Challenge Cup games midweek. Mm-hmm. So next thing you know... Oh, there's four games in a fortnight. Well, I was over here for those four games. Oh, look, what do you know? I need to go back home. Oh, I've sat at my four games. You ripper. Come back and they just they play after missing just two weeks of footy and they're back in time to play finals footy, even though they missed four games. Mm-hmm. Plus, you include the two games here as well that they missed. So, you know, that's six games they probably missed. So it's an easy way to rack up um, bypassing suspensions. Um, Steve Roach tried it during the finals because he got a two-week suspension. Um, the English club even agreed to it, knowing mm-hmm. full well what it, what it meant. Um, and then as he was about to set set off on the plane, the New Zealand Rugby League said, yeah, you know what, we're not allowing that anymore. It's two weeks, not two games. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, well, no point going over there then. That's mm-hmm. me fucked. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny it took that long to close that loophole, hey? Yes. Yes, it's pretty stupid that 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 rule. I think um, that that's that's really the only thing that we miss with, uh, like I think that them playing over in summer, the English Super League playing in their summer has been really good for them. Like I wouldn't change that for the world, but um, well, I probably would change that for the world. Actually, you give me the whole world, they're going back to winter. <laughs> but having said that, I think that us missing out on uh, the top players playing in both comps even if it was just for a little bit um in the different seasons that i think it would be cool if we still had that but um we don't so and we, everyone survives i don't know why they don't have championship run in the winter that's a about that so super league can run in summer adjacent to the nrl yeah but if any especially fringe nrl players Need some game time in our off season, other than just doing training. Mm-hmm. There's an idea, and what do you know? You help them make English rugby league a little bit better. Not much, but a little bit. 
you're getting a bit of expertise, you're getting a bit of experience, mm-hmm. um, and you're getting watched by your coach. You're playing an actual game. And you come back to your English, to your Australian clubs. Like, right, mm-hmm. this is what we're going to work on. Everything you learnt from an English coach, forget that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's work on this stuff. <laughs> See, for, I remember when I used to go on, on the Pommy forums, and it wasn't too long after they made the switch, really, when you think about it. And they would, they so they were still talking about what it would was like when they had the winter season over there and there was just a lot of talk about you know going to every game and the weather sucked like every single one and it was always freezing and the pitches were always ruined and um i I think that the other thing was too they kind of wanted to get away from just being completely demolished by the soccer season as well but you wouldn't have that problem with the, the championship because you know, it's going to get demolished by everything else anyway. Um, but I wonder what effect it would have on crowds and stuff like that. Because, uh, you know, I could see where that would be a good move for them. Uh, I th- I've always thought that they should do that because not only just for the fringe NRL players, but even a lot of um, Super League players as well. Mm. You know, if you're not getting that many games in the Super League season, but you want to play a bit more, you can go and play with a a championship side. Mm-hmm. Could also be a way to supplement your income, take some pressure off the Super League team's salary cap. I don't know, but that could be an idea there as well. There's a million different things you could look at there to be a positive that they could work with there. Because mm-hmm. I mean, the other main thing is championship is no longer then competing with Super League for crowds. Yeah, yeah, that's got to be. Oh, are you there? Yeah, I'm still here. You just disappeared all of a sudden. <laughs> ah, right. Well, the uh, system decided that I'm a fucking idiot and I don't need to listen to anymore. <laughs> it, just, it was like somebody turned down the volume on you. It was really strange. Oh, right. Yeah, you're good, though. You're, good. you're back. I'm back. Oh, trust me, you didn't miss anything, people. <laughs> no, I, it's, got, it's got some merit. I would be interested to see what uh, a follower of a championship club thought about that. Yeah, they probably wouldn't like it, but, you know. The crowds aren't immense, so I don't see that they're going to be losing that much. Yeah. I mean, I'm having a look at the championship so far this year. They've played 21 games, um, and most clubs have got averages between, uh, let's see, Whitehaven's averaging 943, and who's the best here? Bradford, 3,600. Yeah, and you've got to, you always got to take any number that comes out of Bradford with a pinch of salt. Are you saying they're not good with numbers? Yes. <laughs> Surely there's just numbers with a dollar sign on it. Surely <laughs> other numbers are fine. Mate, they can't even mark out a fucking 120 metres for a full-size pitch, all right? On his, Mate, on by, by the way, in basically the biggest fucking stadium in in the northern hemisphere like they it's not like they haven't got the room for it no, but if you count the bit where it goes up if that was laid down flat it would go all the way correct you've got to include the gradient man see they're, they're doing better with mass than you realize they've got gradient shit going on you can't have grass and artificial turf is what i'm saying <laughs> oh 
You can't have a flat field and the rolling hills. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the field can't be perfectly flat and concave at the same time. <laughs> oh, it, it's a it's a wonder that ground. It's an absolute wonder. It really is. The weird thing is, is like, like it was so important to rugby league for such a long time. And you would have thought that somebody would have had the vision that maybe it could have become something really important for rugby league going forward. And they didn't. <laughs> no. It's just <laughs> like if you took somebody from when it was one of the key grounds in in British sport, you know, all those decades ago, and you brought them to today and said, this is this is the stadium, they'd be like, wow, it did not. Right. There's always that iconic picture. I don't mm. know if you've seen it or not of mm-hmm. the do, uh, yeah. ch- the Challenge Cup final of uh, nineteen fifty. Is it four or seven? Uh, I think it was fifty four. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was the the crowd figure was listed as something like one hundred and three thousand or something like that. But they reckon that it was close to about one hundred and twenty with the amount of people who were. Unable to get in. There were some people that were that jumped the gates and whatnot, and there were others that were just watching it from behind. Mm-hmm. Fucking immense that crowd. Mm-hmm. Never repeated ever again. Look, I'm the sure. biggest biggest crowd before and after that at that ground was probably about sixty odd thousand or so. But for that one one game, it's just a yeah. That's that's kind of the golden period for. Um, yeah, rugby league in England was those fifties and sixties. Mm-hmm. I mean, rugby league was still going good in the in the eighties, but it was that's where the whole peak period period was coming to an end. Was the the late eighties, very early nineties, um, but yeah, the fifties. Fifties was great for international rugby league, even though we only had you know four or five teams basically around there. The quality of the games and the closeness of the games was fucking unbelievable. And now we've got nine games scheduled for forever. There you go. Well, you know, what more do you need? <laughs> okay, so big, biggest rugby league in Great Britain. The, this is from leaguefreak.com, huh? Yep. Well, uh, that's where I'd go for my stats. Uh, <laughs> don't start that. How fucking dare you? <laughs> the 1954 Challenge Cup replay between Halifax and Warrington drew a then world record of 102,575 to Odds All Stadium at Bradford. It remained the biggest attendance in a rugby match of any kind in the Northern Hemisphere. It, it remains, sorry, the biggest uh, attendance. Many at the game, however, believe the attendance figure was well over 120,000. I tell you what, when you look at that, like, it's really easy to say that. Like, remember they used to say about the, uh, was it the 1969 uh New South Wales Rugby League Grand Final. It was Souths and... The Dragon. Uh, the Dragons? No, Balmain. And, and that, yeah, and they were like it. It had like 69,000 people there. But they were like, oh, but there was thousands more that were, you know, hanging off of roofs and stuff around the stadium. But when you look at that crowd from the air, that Bradford one, and they say there was 120,000 there, you look at it and you're like, yeah, it probably was. Yeah, it was insane. Yeah. It reminds you when you see some of those big um, rock concerts with these massive bands and they're playing those outdoor daytime events. Mm-hmm. It's just the, you just, just see a sea of humans. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was crazy, that. 
Um, so yeah, I would not surprise me at all if there was 120 grand there. Yeah, yeah. I bet that there's some place that has an algorithm that you can feed that photo into and it would count the people. <laughs> oh man, I'm trying to find the picture. Oh, they found a tons of pictures of it now. Have you? Yeah. Simply, if you just go to, um, <laughs> even better, you can see the hill so well. Yeah, it's 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 insane. It's and really, like, it actually looks more like you know sometimes you see those massive crowds for NFL games. Yeah, because of the way the the stadium was banked, it looks kind of like that. But the yeah. the crowd is just so much more immense. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, it's fucking nuts, man. It, it really is. It, it would have been cool if they had made that stadium uh, something really special, but they just they never did. And look, I, we we tried to find who owns it, and we still <laughs> don't know. We know that the Rugby Football League said something about having some sort of ownership or something of it, but like, what what's what's the use of owning a a giant ground if you don't do anything to it. Let, let's have a look here. I've, I've gone to Wikipedia. Okay. It says on here the owner is the Bradford City Council. Okay. Um, the capacity is 26,019. Okay. Think of that and then go, <laughs> yeah, for that Challenge Cup final, they only had a mere 100,000 more there. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking insane. It really is. Um. But yeah, it's. I think that that's. Just trying to quickly read on here. So it says here, due to the club's ongoing precarious financial situation and increasing rent costs at the stadium, including the seventy-two thousand pound rent payable to the RFL, the Bulls made the decision to leave Ottawa for a financially prudent ground share with Dewsbury to ensure the club's survival. On 1st September 2019, the club played what was believed to be their last game at Oddsall, which had been the team's home ground for 85 years. And then two years later, they were back there. <laughs> yeah. And, and by the way, for any Australians wanting to know what that would be like, it would be like, it'd be like, for instance, the West Tigers leaving Campbelltown to play games at Mittagong. Well, I was thinking, given how long they've been there, I'd say they were leaving Leichhardt to go to Mittagong. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one too. Um, By the way, the West Tigers are playing a home game at Hamilton this weekend over in New Zealand. It's it's funny. It's um, a lot of people are out there saying, uh, "Good on the West Tigers. They didn't need to do that. You know, it's, it's good of them to do that to to pay their respects for what the Warriors did for the game. And, you know, fair enough too. Yeah." And the Warriors are like, we should go out there and support the West Tigers. And you go, you know, not only are the West Tigers taking a game to New Zealand for the New Zealand fans to say thank you, they're also going to be going over there and giving the Warriors a win as well. <laughs> like, how much more giving can a team get? You should actually give the Tigers an extra six points on the ladder just for that that amazing generosity that they're doing there, just so the Dragons can be last. It's very nice of them. And, well, it's, the Dragons aren't being nice, are they? They're no, pricks. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> what what do we think of the Warriors? Because they're, where they're on the ladder is crazy, and it's not a fluke. Like, that's a real – that's really, I think, where they are. That's the team they are. But how do you think that they're going to go in the, the finals? The good thing about them at the moment is since 
since about round 14, so when they played the Dolphins and they beat them 30-8, other than one or two games, they have been pretty damn consistent with their attack and their defense. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a bit of a shock loss to the to the Bunnies. Um, but other than that, they've been keeping teams pretty well in check. Uh, the last two games, though, they've started to slip a little bit defensively. Not a lot, but just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if they're seeing this game against the West Tigers as an opportunity to, to tighten that defence up because they've got a pretty generous run home. Yeah, They've got the Tigers, then they've got Manly at Mount Smart, and then they've got the Dragons at Mount Smart before they go to Suncorp to play the Dolphins. So they're not playing any top eight time, top eight teams now. And they're playing against teams that haven't been defensively very good either. So they're mm-hmm. gonna they're gonna get their attack on fire. But I wouldn't be surprised if they choose to kind of do what Penrith's done the last two weeks against much better opposition. And just put on a twenty point win, but focus on trying to keep their opposition to nil. Yeah. Because that's what you you need your defense to be firing more than anything else when it comes to finals footy. Because um, their attack's been pretty damn um, solid and reliable for the best part of the last three months. They're they're currently in third. There are uh, so the Panthers at the moment, it, as, and this we're recording on Wednesday night, so the round hasn't started. So the, the Panthers have thirty six competition points. The Broncos also have thirty six competition points. The Warriors are third with thirty two. And then just behind them is the Storm with 30 and the Raiders with 30. With that run home, I don't think they're going to catch the Broncos, but they should probably keep that third place on the ladder, which would see them playing the second-place team, which I feel like is probably going to be the Broncos. Well, the Broncos have got Parramatta this week. Yeah. They've got a bye in round 25, and then they've got Canberra and Melbourne. That's a... Them last two what, games though, are a risk for them, hey? I wouldn't be surprised if the Warriors go close to catching the Broncos. That would be... They'll close the gap at least. Yeah, I think they'll close the gap. It's just, man, t- getting back, what is their for and against like compared to the Broncos? For and against isn't that bad compared to the Broncos. The Broncos lead it 169 uh, compared to the Warriors 121. So... They're really striking one point between them defensively. Yeah, that's pretty crazy, hey? Um, if it okay, so say let's let's say they finish third, okay? Yep. Let's say the Broncos hold their place. I, I think the Panthers are going to win the minor premiership, but let's say the Warriors finish third and they play the Broncos re- week one. I think that's a pretty close game. Uh, and then they would have the week off. That would give them the, the preliminary final in New Zealand, yep. which I, I would guess they'd play at Eden Park. I, yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if they'd try to get it at Mount Smart. You reckon? And just keep it all all familiar surroundings at home, pack that place out. Yeah, for and also, you know, after what they went through during COVID, mm. I think the least the NRL could do is let them play that for their home fans in Auckland. Yeah, yeah, in their home stadium, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I would be surprised if they, if they did that. 
Who th- I think the NRL keeps the profits from finals games, don't they? I believe so, yeah. yeah well, I do say yeah. the, the clubs get something, but it's not as much. Yeah, I think they get like a, a set cut, though. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. If they lost that first game, I, I would not want to be one of those teams having to play the Warriors the following week in New no. Zealand. No. Because you're going to walk into like... You're going to walk into just a storm of New Zealand fans who have been dying to watch some footy at that that sort of level, you know? Yeah. Um, if they, I I wonder, and I've been thinking about this a little bit the last couple of days, like of the teams that could beat Penrith, could the Warriors just have some weird thing where they beat Penrith? Um, I I find it hard to see which team's going to beat Penrith. Yeah. Um, the only way you can look at it is you got to look at it as, um, if Penrith are off their game, which team would be able to capitalise on them? Mm-hmm. And I'm not joking here, okay? When the West Tigers have have played against Penrith, they've had the fortune of playing against the Panther side that's, you know. The cohesion's not so great because there's a lot of players filling in for players who have been out. But the West Tigers also have the worst structures in attack and defence. And if you're not at your, if you're not at your, you know, at about 75-80% defensively, that weird, disjointed, horrible, fucking, unstructured bloody attack will jag a few tries mm. just through arsiness. Mm. Not through anything skillful, just through arsiness, because eventually something's going to stick. And so, and as soon as any team in the NRL gets in their tail up a little bit and thinks, oh, we're a chance of winning here, they lift a little bit defensively. Mm-hmm. And that's all it would take. The, the Warriors at the moment, though, are not playing a huge amount of unstructured footy. They're playing very consistent, yeah. low-risk um, high percentages footy, which is that's all you've got to do to win the majority of games these days. Mm-hmm. I don't think that there's enough um, out of the box uniqueness about their attack that would be able to take advantage of Penrith. So I think the only team that has, and I know this sounds weird given the recent performance, the only team that's got the the more varied attack that could possibly make the most of Penrith not being at the best is probably the Sharks. Do you reckon this? I think the Sharks are the gold standard of I am not worried about them at all oh, no, because no, they not, don't have any. No, no, no. I'm not saying that the Sharks are the team most likely to beat Penrith. I'm saying if Penrith's not at their best and the Sharks have a more varied attack than most other teams, so they're probably going to be a better chance of taking advantage of the Panthers at their worst than any other team is. But I don't see the Sharks, when both teams are even at 80 or 90%, the Sharks are no chance of beating Penrith. It's, see, not, I, even, it's not even close. And we've seen that. I don't think the Panthers got out of second gear against the Sharks the other day. But if the if the Sharks at full strength were to play the Panthers at the same time the Tigers do, the Sharks would be able to win those games a little bit more comfortably. Because they've just they've got a lot more different variations in their attack, and they can change their attack at any old time. And if it sticks, they get 
a build on, a bit of a momentum going. The problem with the Sharks is, though, when that attack doesn't stick, they keep trying harder and faster to do something different every other fucking time. And they get, they just start digging holes for themselves in attack and they just keep turning the ball over. That's also largely due to, you know, when they're playing against Penrith, they do that a lot. They think if we throw everything at them all over the place, eventually we'll get through. And Penrith just, Penrith just turns up with their defense and says, ain't going to work, bitch. And that's what so, they do. They just put the wall up and keep pushing it back because the one thing that works against Cronulla is if you've got a good defense and you just keep pushing them back with the same systems over and over and over again, they'll keep throwing something different at you, but it is not ever going to get through if you keep keeping them out. And they just start panicking more and more as the match wears on and turning the ball over more and more, and they make things harder for themselves. And that is why they struggle against top eight sides. See, I I, I don't look at the Sharks and... and... I just think their attack is fucked. <laughs> for lack of better words. Well, you, you can't argue that. You look at how many points they've scored. Uh, yeah, they, I know. They've been on the last few years, so it's it's not that bad. It's just yeah, that, yeah. Look, obviously listen, they're, they're, I, the the thing they are is they're flat, they're flat track believe, bullies. I don't believe in points on the board, Andrew. <laughs> what points on the board fucking account for? I, but you start to start to sound like a West Tigers fan. <laughs> I, the I, I, I believe in moral victories. <laughs> oh, by the way, I fucking heard Brad Arthur talking about how he thinks that it was a turning point last week in the Eels season that they didn't just collapse against their opponent and lose the game, that they fought back and won. They were playing the Dragons. The fact they were behind for an hour mm-hmm. is a huge problem for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they're trying to look at the fact that they won that game in the last 20 minutes as some sort of um, good result is fucking embarrassing. It really is. That game was atrocious to watch. The Dragons weren't doing anything amazing either. And they put 20 points on. And the worst thing is four of those tries all came from exactly the same fucking play. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a fancy play. It was just throw the ball out to Ravalar and see what happens. And he just runs a straight line down the sideline and scores every time you're going. How are you not defending that? How are you not stopping that? Four times he did that. Well, sorry, four times he did that to score a try. He did it two other times and got denied. Six fucking times they tried it. Mm-hmm. Yes, it- it was cra- it was crazy to watch because you were like the f- the first couple of times you're like, ooh, they caught them short there, and then uh, really quickly you realised they're not just catching them short. There is a gigantic problem here for the eels, and I think that the the dragons were the same. They were like, holy shit, this keeps working. Yeah, and like you say, it was it wasn't like these fancy plays with decoy runners and stuff. They were literally just shoveling it out to Ravalawa. Yeah, there was one time they they went out to him a bit too early. Mm. He still got in. You're like, <laughs> I mean, come on. Mm. How are you letting the ball get out to him? When, when you know that they're going to go to him through passing, they're not through kicks where they get some arsy fucking bounce go their way. He's in the right place at the right time, like Cartwright scored at the end. Yep, yep. No, nah, they're just passing the ball steadily along and they get to him. And for some reason, your sentence has just gone. Mm. Can't be bothered. What's what? As if anyone runs sideways. <laughs> Fuck that. <laughs> it's forwards or nothing for me. Um, their defense in that game was horrid. 
And uh, it has it has been all year, but yeah, that that game really showed how bad it was because it, like the the dragons just went through them up the middle of the field. And the problem was that the reason the dragons lost the game is they stopped doing that. Yeah, and you know, poor ball handling and shit like that. But um, just have a look here now. The dragons have what they've reached twenty. Twice in the last six games, and one of those was against Parramatta. The other was when they lost to Canberra, twenty six thirty six, and that was also a very shit performance by the Raiders. Um, yeah, it's it's a, fun, it's a really funny season. Hey, when you think about it, like it, this time last year, if you said the Eels will be really doing it tough to make the finals no one would think you were like the following year yeah no one would think that that was possible and if you said you know what souths are the in the same boat well, i mean I had, are in third <laughs> i had souths has been a genuine premiership contender this year yes yeah, so and that's I. they're struggling to make the eight i mean they're in there at the moment but they're struggling mm. um but yeah I think we both suggested, though, that we didn't see Parramatta being as big a threat because of the player turnover they had and who yeah. they brought in. Yeah. It it wasn't matching up. Yeah. Like, not even close to matching up. And that's, um, the, that's the thing about who they've committed to going forward, that, like, this is the Parramatta Eels. They're set, man. There's, there's, no, there's no big turn. There's no spending spree coming up. They spent the money. I mean, I'm just looking at Parramatta's results now. How many weeks ago do you think it was that they kept the team to less than 20 points? Oh, man. That's a good question. Have, man, have they done it this year at all? They have, yeah. Have they? Yeah. It's got to have been a while ago then. Like, it was at the start, near the start of the year. Was it like against Penrith or something? Um, let's see. Well, they kept Melbourne to 16, but okay. lost. Yeah. And then they conceded 30 in the next two games, and they beat Penrith 17 to 16. Mm-hmm. Then they conceded 20 against the Roosters and the Tigers, then they kept the Bulldogs to four. Broncos got to 26, kept the Knights to 12, Titans got to 26, Canberra to 26. South and the Cowboys, they kept them to 16. Then they had the bye. And then they beat the Bulldogs 34-12. And they beat Manly 34-4. And that was their last good defensive effort. Okay. The Dolphins put on 20, even though the Eels scored 48 and won that one. They lost to the Warriors 10-46. They beat the Titans 25-24. They lost to the Cowboys 16-24. They lost to the Storm 16-46. And the Dragons 26-20. So they've been conceding a fuck ton of points for the last uh, six games that they've played. Mm-hmm. And what Dolphins, Titans, and Dragons, three of those teams, half those teams are not even in the top eight. I think we nailed the Dolphins' call at the start of the year that, that they'd go all right, but as the season went on, they'd sort of fade away just because of their depth. Yeah, and... I mean, they were handed a a very, very nice draw this year where they didn't have to leave Queensland a great deal either. Mm-hmm. But still, their depth was... It's it's 
been pretty poor. I didn't think their defence would be as bad as it was, though. I thought their defence would be reasonable, mm-hmm. but they just lose games by four, six, eight points like that on a more regular basis. But they've been leaking points pretty hard all year. Yeah. Yeah, it's, look, it's a it's a really really interesting season, and I I, the, I, I obviously keep looking at it as like who's going to be able to beat Penrith, and look on on their day, you never know, you know, but uh, there's really only it's like I, I still worry about Souths getting it together, but you look at them at the moment and they don't look like they're even close. The Broncos, I don't know about. The Warriors, it'd be interesting to see what happens there. But most of the other teams, I've, I've, and I know it's tempting fate. I've put a red line through most of the rest of them. Hey, like well, the weird one for me is the Storm. The thing for the Storm too is, I don't know. There's something ominous about the fact that Pappenhausen's back playing lower grades footy. Do you reckon? I'm, a part of me's thinking there's no chance he's playing this year. Mm-hmm. But I would be surprised if they planned on bringing him back just as the final start, like off the bench or something. So he's not playing full 80 minutes. So he's not ruining any team cohesion. But they'll bring him on in the second half of games and just fuck with teams. Um, I You can never put a red line through Melbourne. We know that. But it's hard to see who's going to be playing against the, the Panthers in the grand final. Um the only thing that gets me with the Melbourne and Penrith is, and like you've anybody that's listened to this podcast, I always say Melbourne, 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 Melbourne. Oh, who's going to be in there, Melbourne? Who's, yep. the, who's your favourite, Melbourne? Um, is that first game they played was like so dramatically strange and ended up with Penrith just like smashing the fuck out of them down in Melbourne. And then when they last played them up in Penrith, like the storm just looked defeated. Like they looked like they'd just been throttled, you know, and and that's, you don't see that from Melbourne. And I think from a Panthers point of view, normally it was the other way around for so long that when you see the Panthers do that to the storm, it's so utterly shocking that it really is. It's stuck with me a little bit more than maybe it would other teams. Yeah. Um, I think maybe that's it. I'm wondering if the Storm have got a bit of a concern this week, come, considering they're coming up against Canberra and it's mm-hmm. a home game because they haven't beaten Canberra in Melbourne mm-hmm. in their last five visits down here. Canberra's on a bit of a win streak down in Melbourne. So the last time Melbourne beat Canberra at Amy Park, I think was 2018. That's crazy too, huh? Yeah. Um, now, the other bit of news, actually, now that I remember talking about Brisbane, is Payne Haas has decided to test the open market at the end of the year. Yes. It, once again, remember the reaction to when uh, Justin Hodges had the gall, had the absolute gall to leave Brisbane, and it, there was this weird breakdown from Brisbane media over it. Now, similar things happening with Payne Haas because Haas has this clause in his contract where he's able to do this like there's there's nothing nefarious going on with Haas it's just he's allowed to go and have a look around um kind I, of like every other player yeah it feels like it eh? uh, there was a quote on um that NRL 360 by um David Riccio who looks like he's kind of cosplaying as a young Montgomery Burns 
He fucking he looks like what he is, huh? <laughs> and he said, I wonder if our point players grow up. And he's talking about Payne Haas's contract decision. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about, grow up? Mm-hmm. Serious? It's weird, isn't it? And of all the people to talk to him, he's talking with that fat mouth fucking idiot Gordon Tallis and Paul Crawley doesn't know shit and Brayton <laughs> Astor just stands there looking at people nodding. I'm like, are any of you going to get a fucking brain anytime soon? Are you going to talk about players growing up? How many of your fucking colleagues have been acting like children? Any of them been bullying other mates on, on radio shows or jumping on fucking car bonnets or... Where's that other bloke who used to be on NRL 360? Yeah, exactly. Who, who we shan't speak about. Yeah. Yeah. What, Payne Haas has got to grow up? Fucking spare me. And literally for... Like... He's he's allowed to. There's nothing that it's not like he's under contract for the next four years and there's for no the rest of his, in his contract. And he's like, I'm I've locked in this contract. Oh, you know what? I'm going to look around anyway. You know, he's allowed to look around and and it's in his contract he can do that. And they they've hammered him for it. It's crazy. And. I think I saw you made a tweet about it, and someone replied with, oh, but what about everything Brisbane's done for him? I was like, paid his wage? <laughs> yeah, it's like, I, I found that strange too. I, I didn't reply to it. No, well, neither did I, because I wanted to, and I thought, no, because all it's going to do is lead down a fucking garden path yeah. of more of that same bullshit, and I'm like, I'm, I, don't, I can't be asked doing that. Yeah, it's a, it's a, I think an immature way to look at it is the way I would say. It is, because clubs don't do shit for players other than pay them for their services. And 100%. That's all it ever is. Loyalty, mm-hmm. you cannot have loyalty in a system like professional sport. You just can't, because if a if a player remains loyal to a club, he's denying himself an opportunity to make money. And mm-hmm. if a club remains loyal to a player, then you get the West Tigers. <laughs> Right, and hands up if you want to support the West Tigers, but you don't. That's right. You'll keep your fucking hands down. Even I did. Um, but that's that's the fucking fact. Mm. Look how long the Tigers were loyal to Luke Brooks is a good example, knowing full well that it wasn't getting them to where they to the next level where they needed to be. And they persisted with him, and they kept talking about how they were going to keep him there. And they didn't want to lose him, and they still didn't want to lose him when he wanted to fucking leave. No, we want to make him a tiger for life. And then it was Luke Brooks deciding he needs to get out and leave that eventually saw him leave the club. Wasn't the club trying to get rid of him? Mm-hmm. And going, being loyal to players achieves fucking nothing for you. Because eventually that player is going to bloody retire. Mm-hmm. Then what? And the thing that people miss with loyalty too is like, so, like, so, say, for instance, a club brings a youngster, a, a teenager into their ranks and they come through the grades and stuff. But that youngster, they get to, like, 18 and it's clear they just fucking are not good. Yeah. But you're going to be loyal to them. So bring them up into first grade. Let them play 300 games. <laughs> you know, it, it that doesn't fucking happen unless you're Jared Crocker, okay? <laughs> it, that, it's just... Loyalty is bullshit in professional sport unless you're fucking good on at some level, unless you're Jared Crocker. So, well, even still, it's like if we were to look at say Nathan Cleary in the Panthers, right? Yeah, it's not loyalty that's keeping either, keeping him at the club or no. the club with him. It's no. the fact that both want success and they're both getting it at the moment. 
He's very good, and they're paying him more than a million dollars a year. Yeah, but he knows yeah. if he goes on the open market, he will get that money, if not more. Mm-hmm. But he's not – not all players, and I'd say only a minority of players, are driven by how much money they make. Yeah. What they're driven by is success. Yeah. You don't play sport to make money. You play sport to be competitive and to win and be the best. Yeah, because like Payne Haas, wherever he goes is going to earn a big chunk of change. Yeah. That's right. I mean, if it was all about making money, every fucking NRL player would give up playing now and they'd go and play soccer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, less chance of injury. You just got to run around and fall over every now and then. Fucking easy money. You know what they do? They'd all they'd all take up oxen. Well, that too, yeah. But Jeez, Paul Gallon's going to be busy. Shit, four hundred fights a year. Well, look, he made a, he made a lot of money being a, an RSL fighter because that's what most of them are in Australia. And yeah. like, there's nothing wrong with that. Keep in mind, Paul Gallon. I don't know what it is about him as an athlete. He just has something extra that other guys don't, and I don't know what it is. It's just a natural, yeah, it's a natural, like he just has it, you know. But, uh, you know, they they, they box because it's just easy money. If if fucking, did you see Jake Paul fought, um, what's his name? I'm blanking on his name. Was that the Uh, one I saw there was a fucking... Nate Diaz. That's it. There was like a, a... A front choke a front choke or something like that that Diaz put on him. Yeah, he put yeah yeah and and like Diaz, it's, it was his first boxing match and I didn't watch it. I didn't watch any of it, but you know he lost on decision. Um, but then they were talking about will they go back and then fight again, but in MMA and like if he does that with Nate Diaz, Nate Diaz will choke him out really 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 quickly. So I don't think that's going to happen. But the thing that gets me about this Jake Paul dude, and I don't know much about him. I don't watch his fights. I don't watch his YouTube stuff. I just, I'm not interested. But I find it really fascinating that this guy is putting on, at the moment, about the biggest professional boxing bouts in the world. And he's actually doing a pretty good job in the boxing ring and he's fighting actual fighters, but not the top boxers in the world. He's fighting mostly old MMA fighters, but you can't take away the fact that this guy's making fucking so much money doing that. I find that really impressive. Oh, absolutely. It's crazy. And it's, so there's that market is there for it. That like almost celebrity boxing market. Maybe they could all go into pro wrestling. Or it's funny you say that. He's got a brother that is in the WWE as a pro wrestler. Yeah. And is really actually pretty good at it. I have only seen one of his uh, wrestler matches, but like it's not, he's not getting guided around the ring like we've seen with some celebrities. Like he's doing crazy shit in the ring that's legit. And he's a, he's a tall bloke doing fucking flips and all this, all this sort of shit. You're looking at going, that's damn impressive. Yeah, yeah. For someone who's doing this shit part-time, damn impressive. Yeah, um, and it's, I find it interesting that these, and I, from what I understand is they kind of went from being young blokes that were doing stuff on YouTube to both of them making this decision to just 
go down an athletic sort of route for both of them and have done really, really well at it. I find that really fascinating. It kind of leads me to want to talk about who would be the um, who would be the the best of the best if the NRL became a pro wrestling competition. Now, obviously, Jerome Luai is going to be the biggest heel there is. <laughs> Man, can you imagine? <laughs> can you imagine? He'd be like a he'd he'd be like an even more over the top Chris Jericho. Hey, <laughs> absolutely coming out with the, like <laughs> pissing everyone off. Yeah. Uh. I'm trying to think of who would be the, like, because if we go WWE, and you know what Vince McMahon's like, he likes the big, tanky, heavyweight champions. So who would that be? Tom Malolo? Yeah, it'd probably be him, yeah. Yeah. I reckon it's got to be him. It'd have to be him, yeah. And he'd be like, like the Bobby Lashley would be like Moses Leota. Like still, still a big, huge dude, but oh, actually, Kickow. Who would Kickow be? I reckon Kickow would be like a. He's a pretty big unit, though. Yeah, he's huge, but I think he would be more like a, a like a Kane, That's like true. big dude and surprisingly athletic. Yeah. Um. What else would there be? I suppose Payne Haas. He'd be like Brock Lesnar. Yeah, he'd be another one that would be <laughs> like that, yeah. Just goes around just smashing humans everywhere. Yep. And then you need a, a tag team, two two players who work well together, but typically one's big and the other one's small. Yeah, he'd be a good tag team like that. Oh, you know what? I feel as though maybe that's where Jerome Luai is. Like he's he is part of an awesome tag team where – like, he's that guy, and then he's got the other offsider that's maybe more of a technical guy, you know what I mean? Like Leota. Yeah, maybe they're the tag team. I was thinking maybe, um, say, Cameron Munster and Nelson Nassifer Solomona. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Hated by everyone. Like what about? heel tag team. Big Nelson and Jerome Luai. <laughs> uh-huh. They'd be the kings. They'd be... Everyone would be against them. Everyone would hate them. I think even I would turn against <laughs> Jerome. <laughs> <laughs> I'd just be like, Jerome, this is too far, man. <laughs> the reason why I sort of got into this is because obviously there's been more drama about Luai's talking. He didn't say anything bad, but there was... One journal, I think it was Michael Carianis, oh, was recently talking about how he, he spoke to Luai and, in his words, not Luai's words, he agreed to have a chat with him because he said, you know, you, why do you carry on like a bit of a pork chop or a dickhead or something like that? You know, you don't have to be like that when you're a good bloke and stuff. And then apparently he reckons that Luai agreed to have an interview with him the next day and Carianis went along to training and Luai went, nah, can't be bothered anymore. <laughs> just yeah. fucking ghosted him. Yeah, and then like, and then like, wanted nothing to do with him, which is obvious. Called him a dickhead, like, and then he this journo said, and then he hid behind the club, and it's like, no, he didn't hide behind the club. He was done with you, and officials were telling you, hey, he's done with you, go away, 
And then this fucking guy says, so then I put a red line through his name. It's like, no, you didn't. <laughs> he was done with you, you fucking idiot. Oh. And he was proud of it, man. Oh. He was like, he. it was like, yeah, so I put a red line through him. It's like, what the <laughs> fuck? And can you imagine you sit, you're like, Somebody says, oh, can I talk to you for a minute? It's like, yeah, no worries. No worries. He says, why why do you carry on like a dickhead? Yeah, that's going to go down well. (laughs) Yeah, that's, yeah. Like, what did he expect to happen at that point? Basically what Luai did is what Shooter McGavin did to Happy Gilmore when they first on the Met. Meet me me at the 19th green at nine. (laughs) The sprinklers come on and ruin his good suit. That's basically what happened there. Just so weird that you would expect to get a positive reaction out of someone if you went up and asked them that. If we bothered to try and get any NRL players on to chat about whatever the fuck they wanted to, we could probably have a better strike rate than what, um, of getting Luai on than what Carrianis or any other journo would. But here's the thing, right? (laughs) Like, Put it this way, it, I wouldn't expect to get in contact with Jared Crocker and say, hey, Jared, do you want to have an interview, right? Now, he, he would never have heard about th- my thoughts on his defence. No. What defence? But, like, if he did know, I, I, I just wouldn't do that. Like, I would I would expect he wouldn't want to talk with us whatsoever. Right. And... I would understand completely why, you know, yeah. it, and you'd, just, you'd leave it at that. Cause that's the, that's the human approach. That's been a human being. Yeah. And it's like, I, I completely understand. And that's, that's completely cool. Um, we may need have talked about this before, like about interviewing players and it's just not something we've really ever thought about. Nah, it's not never, it's been the goal of our podcast. Like it's never just not pursued it. Yeah, it's not something we're interested in. We always wanted to sort of look at um, different people to interview that are still have an involvement in the game to you know, for, for most of them anyway. Mm. But talking about key things, that's what we've had, um, like NRL physio Brian Sini on. Um, you know, we had a female referee on. Casey Badger. Casey Badger. So I'm I'm drawing blanks here with names. It's all right. Um, Dr. Alan Pierce had him on a mm-hmm. few times. Ben Darwin on talking about cohesion data. Mm-hmm. This is still all really important stuff to the game today, but people aren't talking to these to these people yet. They've still got really important um, roles to play in the way the game is mm. and how it evolves and gets better and all sort of stuff and things that we can learn about as well instead of just talking to a player and most players are going to give you the same amount of content in return. Not yeah. all of them, but most of them will. And, and it's understandable too, because like you think about uh, if a play, say a player come on and, and we were like, oh, who, who do you, who do you hate? And they were like, you know who I hate? I hate X, Y, and Z. I think he's a real fucking idiot. And I love smashing him every time we play him. All of a sudden, that's a lot of drama. And yeah. it becomes a, it actually becomes a problem, and so that's why they tend to give you the canned answers because it's just it's best for, it's best for them and it's best for the club and and they don't want to ruin stuff. And we've 
we've all seen moments where players have maybe been uh, a little bit too honest and it's backfired on them. Like, I mean, you look at when Anthony Mundine said, we see ourselves as the champion, not the storm, you know, and see what happened then. Yeah. Um, you look at when, remember when Andrew Chalmers said, oh, this Australian team's the weakest one I think we've ever seen. And we saw what happened then. Australia gave New Zealand the worst loss that they'd ever had on New Zealand soil. You don't want to give that ammunition to other people because in rugby league, it tends to bite you in the ass, And it bites, you in, it bites you in the ass on the field. Yeah. And permanently. Yeah. It never goes away. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a little bit of insight behind how we function. Basically, there's also a lot of organising what not to be involved there, and we don't do that. Yeah, we. <laughs> <laughs> it's like if if somebody said to talk to a player, you've got to talk to this person and negotiate with, and it's like, ah, <laughs> let's just <laughs> can let's we just, not? Let's just point, find. <laughs> Let's just find a poorly put together fucking statistical graph of where play where teams stand and yeah. fix it before we tear it apart. <laughs> oh that's, shit! That's us to a T. Yeah, it was freaky cold today. Um, I was putting that stat thing together. It took me all of about ten minutes. And while I'm doing that stat, you're talking about milk and dolphins, and then we hit press record. Yeah, then we were straight into it. <laughs> that is literally it. There's nothing else to it. Um, fucking hilarious, though. But, I mean, you know, nearly 500 episodes. You're still all listening, so it must be doing something right. Yeah. Or you're just waiting for us to fuck up. Just... Keep listening. It's bound to happen soon. Sooner or later. Yeah. We... Again. We definitely haven't fucked up yet, Andrew. Not yet, nah. Not once. Not <laughs> once. Um, well, I guess that wraps up this magnificent episode. Yeah, it's been fun once again. Um, it's funny how we can get to a point where we're like, yeah, not nothing much else is happening in rugby league, and then we talk for another hour. Yeah, we, we're good at that. Yeah, yeah, and we'll probably talk for another hour afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Highly likely, yes. <laughs> It's like before the last episode we started, I can't remember what we're talking about, but we really started getting into it. And then we're like, we've got to stop. It's a podcast. We're doing a podcast right now. We've got to record it. <laughs> that, that's actually our, our most common saying when mm. off air. We're doing mm-hmm. a podcast now. Okay, let's press record. <laughs> <laughs> that's how it is. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Make sure you check us out on the socials on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, all the other ones. I keep forgetting now. I'm getting old. I am 49 after all. Mm. Um, Thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you all next time.